Open your Bible, please, to Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah chapter 42. All of us are a little different, aren't we? I mean, different than everyone else. That's why we wished everybody would be more like us, because it would be a lot better world if you were a little more like me. There have been times we left church. We'd get in the car, and after a frustrating day with church members, you know how you people can be, I got in the car and I told my wife, I think we're the only two normal people in that church. And quite frankly, I'm suspect of one of them. So <laughs> we're all a little different. We have a little different slant. And I understand I'm just a, I'm uniquely different than you and you're uniquely different than me. We don't always see things exactly the same, but truth is truth whether we see it the same way or not. It doesn't change. I mean, there's preacher friends of mine that... When they talk about the origin of life, they believe that life starts when the heartbeat begins. And then I have preacher friends that believe that uh, life begins when, at, at the moment of conception. But I'm here to tell you, life begins when your kids move out of the house and the dog dies. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, hallelujah. And so preachers are even different one from another. And so it is the case with the man Jeremiah. He's a unique preacher. Say what you want. He is known as the weeping prophet. And today there aren't many tears in the pulpit. In fact, when I was in Bible college, I'm not scolding the professor. I think I understand the motive behind it if I heard him correctly. Sometimes we say we heard something from someone that's not exactly what they said. But we had a professor that tried to encourage us not to cry or weep in the pulpit. It shows emotional instability. It shows weakness. And yet, when you read the Word of God, there's a lot of crying going on in the Word of God. There is an e a great emotion in many of the preachers of God and God's people. And quite frankly, God hears the cries of His people. You may be so self-disciplined that you can hold the tears back and you commend yourself thinking that you are strong when in reality, you are looking, you're looking past what God has given you to release some of those emotions that should not remain within. That's the way God sometimes allows us to purify ourselves. Just cry it out unto the Lord. Jeremiah, he is known as the Weeping prophet, he loved God and he loved God's people. He didn't care so much that he got their attention. He didn't care so much that he got their affection. He wasn't concerned that he got their acceptance. He didn't care if he got their accolades. What he cared about was action. He wanted to see God's people experience life change. It's one thing to say you believe, it's another to govern your life by it. And that's what Jeremiah was trying to teach the people of God. You say you believe this, but you live like this, and you wonder why we're in the mess we're in. There's got to be a change in our lifestyle to exhibit the faith that we claim we have. I love reading Jeremiah, but... Tonight I'm going to 
preach a simple message. You say, well, all your messages are simple. Well, that's because I'm preaching to simple people and I want you to get that. And so tonight's going to be extra simple. Hallelujah. So if you're able, would you please stand with me? And we're going to read Jeremiah chapter 42. And I'm going to pick up in verse number one. Then all the captains of the forces and Johanan, the son of Kareah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest came near and said unto Jeremiah, the prophet, let we beseech thee our supplications be accepted before thee. And pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant. For we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us. That the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. We're not going to take the time to continue reading. And that was an impressive passage of Scripture. To think that the people of God, the people of the church, if I can use the term loosely for this crowd tonight, came to the preacher and said, pray for us. Come to the pulpit and bring his word to us. And whatever he says, whether it be evil or good, knowing that it's not going to be evil, whatever he says, we'll do it. Man, that's the kind of crowd the preacher wants to preach to. That's the kind of crowd that a guest preacher wants to preach to. Bring it. Whatever God says, we're in. You just tell us and we'll do it. Well, that sounded really good. But if you continue reading during this simple and maybe boring message to you, you're going to find that these people did not keep their end of the bargain. That Jeremiah, he met with the Lord came to the pulpit with the word of the Lord and they did not obey the word of God. But I want to preach a message tonight from a few words back in verse number four. I want to focus on the last seven words. I will keep nothing back from you. You ought to thank God for the pastor that you have here at Canaan Baptist. If he keeps nothing back from you. Some preachers, they don't want to go there in the book. Because he doesn't want to hurt people. He doesn't want to upset people. He doesn't want to break status quo. 
But if you've got a faithful man of God in the Word of God that preaches the text as it's spoken and makes application to your life, whether we like it or not, you ought to thank God for that. In fact, spirit-filled Christians are really odd ducks. They're the kind of guys that'll sit in church and they'll say, man, you mowed the grass low, you killed me, you stomped on my feet. I looked down, there was blood all around me, but it was so good. (laughs) You know why? Because we want to hear what God says. And like the psalmist, we don't want any secret faults tucked away in our life because we know what can happen. And so we want to hear it all. Don't hold anything back. Tonight, I didn't know exactly where I was going to go. So tonight I'm going to preach a little message I've called Getting Something Out of Nothing. I'm going to hold nothing back. And at the end of the service, you'll be able to go and tell your friends if they should ask, what did the preacher preach on tonight? Nothing. That's what I'm going to preach. Father, would you bless this church and what a precious people they are. May tonight's message be a source of encouragement to each and every follower of Jesus Christ. And should there be a soul here tonight without confidence of their eternal destiny, I pray that tonight they would be saved, born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, And leave here tonight on their way to the celestial city, the new heaven. And I pray that you would bless each and all who hear what the Spirit has to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to give you seven quick thoughts on nothing in the Scripture. Let's just start with number one. God created the world out of, say it, nothing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Come on, folks, that's the great debate in evolution today. It comes down to the authority of God's word. You're either going to believe it or you're not. I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, and if if my passion seems offensive, I don't mean to be offensive. I just, I can't help but get excited when when I preach the truth, especially to confront error, especially obvious error. Whatever theory you were taught, the Big Bang Theory, or the awakening of the amoeba soup drama, or the monkey magic trick... Whatever theory of evolution you choose to believe, you still have one question that remains unanswered. How did something come from nothing? Where did the big spark come from? Where did the amoeba come from? Where did that first monkey come from? Come on, in eternity past, out of nothing, A little spark appeared and just started floating down through outer space for millennium after millennium for millennium. And all of a sudden, one day, a pond appeared 
And that little spark that has been falling for millennia falls into the pond. And when it meets the pond, it makes it turns into some goopily gunk. And it begins to float in the water. And before long, boom, boom, two legs pop out and begin to kick. Two arms, boom, boom, pop out. And he begins to swim. And he goes to shore and, and he all of a sudden just stands upright. And while he's walking around, hair begins to grow. And the next thing you know, he starts swinging from trees. And before long, his tail falls off. And before long, he lands on the ground, goes to men's warehouse, buys a suit, and becomes a college professor. <laughs> Takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. It also needs to be said that it takes more ignorance today to believe the theory of evolution than to believe the inspired, infallible word of God. I'm not opposed to science, real science, but I'll stand toe to toe with you on science falsely so-called. That's not true. In the beginning, God created. When God begins to work in your life, it will truly be the beginning of a new life. That's why when we get saved, we become a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. God can create a new life in anyone. If you're here tonight and you don't have confidence of your eternal destiny, if you're listening online and you don't have assurance that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven, God can save you tonight and create new life in you. Secondly, I'm thinking of nothing. Man brought nothing into the world and he will carry nothing out. First Timothy 6, 17 says, for we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. I've been in ministry now almost 50 years. Next year, Lori and I are going to celebrate 50 years of marriage and 50 years of ministry. And we're going to take the whole year off. Call it the year of Jubilee. Well, I'm not really taking the whole year off, but we are going to try to spend some time together and go down our bucket list to go see some of the sites in America that we've wanted to see. Some of that time is going to be included in Hawaii. Your pastor referred to that this morning. And if I die in Hawaii, it's like leaving the vestibule of heaven to go into heaven. It is paradise in Hawaii if you've not been. And so we get to celebrate 50 years of ministry and marriage together. Over those 50 years, don't you know, we've seen quite a few things, especially at funerals. Funerals, you have a heightened emotional stress time. And we've seen people lose it in every which way. 
I've seen people fight, fist fight at funerals. Arguments over the inheritance. I have seen, uh, I've ridden in the, the hearse with the, the funeral director and the casket is a casket in the front seat between us of a little baby. It's, it goes from one end to the other end of in the emotional spectrum. But of all the things that I've witnessed at a funeral, I have never once seen a hearse that had a U-Haul trailer hooked up to the back of it. We leave it all behind. Most people work on this earth to store up treasure for retirement, recreation, reward, rainy days, real estate. But God says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You want to know what people love? Look at their credit card statements. And for the old people, look at their bank checkbook registers. You want to know what you love? Just follow the money. See where you invest your money. That's what we love. That's what we focus on. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. God tells us, you ought to store up some treasure in heaven. Can I say this kindly? Some of you good people are, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and by the way, if you're saved, we all are. And your wife is not going to be able to defend you. Your dad's not going to be able to come alongside and explain for you. Your pastor is not going to come and say, you know, he meant well. You're going to give an account of your life. And many of us will likely stand before the Lord and we will, I'm using what we understand today, we'll likely, if I would have, if I would have known that God would have reward me for how much money and how much time I gave to the Lord's work. I mean, I could have given a whole lot more. I mean, I, I, I do, we do need to save. I understand that, but I didn't need to say that much. I could have invested more in the Lord's work. Could I kindly interrupt your thinking? It's not if you would have known, but if you would have believed. That's why the good book says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. We're not going to ever see revival with spare time and pocket change. We'll only see revival when we sacrifice ourselves to the Lord. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? You're not going to take it with you. Well, I want to leave it for my kids. You better study the scriptures on that. More kids are ruined by the gifts that they receive from parents and grandparents, especially in America. 
You may not take anything out of this world with you, but you can send a whole lot of head ahead to the Lord if you believe. I got five more points to go. That's a sermon in and of itself, but let's pick up and take off, shall we? Number three, without Jesus, we can do what, class? Nothing. Told you I was going to preach on nothing tonight. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. This verbiage in this text is in an active sense and a passive sense, meaning God says you can't breathe, you can't eat, you can't walk, you can't work, you can't sleep, you can't stand, you can't live if God doesn't sustain the world in you. Colossians 1.16, the Bible says, For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. God keeps this whole world moving. You say, well, these hands provided what we have. God could make your hands curl up just like that. You won't have the health tomorrow morning to report into work if God didn't sustain you. But not only that, Jesus is saying we cannot do anything that will last forever, that will bring good, that will produce lasting joy unless Jesus is involved as well. That's why we encourage our people to pray. It's not because we don't have anything else to preach. That's why we encourage our people, get in the Word of God and let the Word of God get in you. Come on, the average fundamental independent, narrow-minded, King James only, red-letter edition, no fun Baptist church is filled with members that can tell you the starting lineup of their favorite sporting team, but they can't tell you the 12 disciples' names. Can't quote the Ten Commandments or the Eight Beatitudes or the 39 books of the Old Testament or the 27 of the New. They're Bible ignoramuses, and yet they'd be the ones that say, we love God's Word. And then we wonder why we have a tough time conquering sin. We wonder why we can't seem to influence people for the gospel. We're attempting to serve God in the energy of the flesh. I commend you for your desire and your efforts. But without him, you can do nothing. That's why we get in the book. That's why we get on our knees. We know we need God. And if I have God with me, who can stand against me? Number four, are you getting something out of nothing? Let me give you another nothing. Without charity, we are nothing. If you have time, flip over to 1 Corinthians 13 if you don't have it memorized. 
without charity, we are nothing. Corinthians 13, first three verses say, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, did you get that? If I give every dime I have to help those that don't have anything, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Did you catch that? God says, if I don't have charity, all I say is ineffective. If I don't have charity, all I know is incomplete. If I don't have charity, all I believe is insufficient. If I don't have charity, all I give is insignificant. If I don't have charity, all I accomplish is inadequate. I can't exaggerate the importance of charity amongst the people of God. The new translations of the Bible, they translate the word charity to love. I'm not being critical or trying to stir up a lot of fussing. They're trying to get people to understand what this word charity means because today the word charity over time has degenerated into the understanding or the interpretation that it's a handout. And most of us would say, I don't need your charity. I don't want your charity. Though there's some truth in that definition, that's not what charity is. God defines for us what charity is in the next four or five verses. He gives us a definition and a demonstration of what it looks like. Think of it. It endures all things. It believes all things. It bears all things. It hopes all things. Hey, folks, that's not normal love. Charity is love motivated by grace. And grace is defined in Scripture as the power of God to do His will. You need God's power. You need His grace to love like this. Charity is the correct translation in this passage of Scripture. And God says, if you don't have it, you're incomplete. It'd be like me coming to your church and I have behind, put on your virtual glasses, would you, for this illustration? And we have up here a, a uh, drapery, and behind the drapery, I have a presentation check that I have had manufactured for Canaan Baptist Church because I've come to love you people. I talk about your church to my church, and some of our businessmen come to me and say, Preacher, I have some extra money. God's blessed us. Let, let me give that money so that you can direct it down to the saints there outside of Atlanta over there in Covington, Georgia. And so I come down. I have this presentation check. And since Pastor Ingram is in town, I, I say, now, folks, I want to I give you a love offering from the saints up in Chicago. We're a little different than you folks down here. Uh, we aren't near as friendly. And we don't say, hey, stop over sometime. 
like you do, you don't mean it. You say, hey, stop over sometime. You don't mean it. But if we say stop over sometime, we expect you tomorrow night at five o'clock. And so we, we want to show our love to you. And, and so I begin to pull the draw cord and the drape comes back and reveals a zero and a zero and a decimal point. And then I pull the draw cord to add a little drama to it. And it reveals another zero and another zero and a zero and a comma. And the pastor sort of perks up in his chair and thinks, this is starting to look like a pretty good church in Chicagoland. And I pull the draw cord again, and there's another zero. And as I'm about to pull the draw cord again, the pastor can't take it any longer. And Brother Ingram runs up on the platform, grabs the drape, pulls it back to see what's up there. And all that's up there is a line full of zeros. And he says, what would you expect from a preacher from Chicago? <laughs> Nothing probably preaches on nothing. You see, that check is worthless until I put a one in front of all those zeros. Let me help you. I go to Sunday school and I stay for morning church decimal. I come back on Sunday nights. I'm there on Wednesday nights. I even come Saturday night to the symphony of praise, comma. I go on visitation. I play, in, I play an instrument and I sing in the choir, comma. I go out soul winning. I do some work around the church. I give my tithe, comma. I give special offering. You can add all the zeros you want on that check. But without charity, it's worthless. Most fundamental independent Baptist churches are known for what they hate more than who they love. Am I exaggerating? I'm not saying you, I'm saying most of our kind of churches. And God says, without charity, we are nothing. Number five. Without witnessing, we're good for nothing. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for what? Nothing. But to be cast out, to be trodden under foot of men. There's too many of our saints in our churches that pat themselves on the back because they don't cuss, they don't chew, they don't run with those that do. They don't do this, they don't do that. They have the King James Version of the Bible, they got a haircut, they wear a tie and suit to church and the ladies wear a dress and everything is just so wonderful. But if you're not winning souls, you're good for nothing. My dad used to say some strange things from the pulpit, and I'm at the age where I understand them now. He'd often say, I'd rather have a guy in our church that goes out because of circumstances in his life, is sorrowful and doesn't know what to do, and he makes a mistake, and he goes out and he gets plastered, he gets drunk, and he's at the altar Sunday morning pouring his heart out to God. 
He gets up and he goes out and he wins souls to Christ. I'd rather have that guy than most of you that don't ever do anything wrong and never win a soul to Christ. I didn't understand that when he said it. But when you hear people boast about how doctrinally sound they are and how they dot their I's and cross their T's and smile at the appropriate moment and were so well schooled on how to be friendly and how to greet people and how to maintain our buildings and how to prepare sermons. Quite frankly, we can have church and God not even show up. And the sad thing is, we like it. But there's no life change. No sin being conquered. No souls being saved. No sanctification evident inside tight relationships. I might be able to fool you. It's harder to fool my wife. I'm saying today, we have way too many Pharisees in our churches. We may appear to be good on the outside, but quite frankly, too many of us are bankrupt inside. We don't even like how good we look. I just wish I could actually let my hair down. Well, I can't say that, but this is too oppressive for me. It almost feels like legalism. Well, it is legalism if it's not coming from within your heart. I'm saying to us what Jesus said. If we aren't winning souls, then we'll be good. But we're going to be good for nothing. Number six. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. Have you gotten something out of nothing yet? Give me, let me have two more shots at you. Nothing should offend us. I wish this verse wasn't in the Bible. But the Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. I, I wish that wasn't in there because I think I love God's word. I spend a lot of time reading God's Word. I still memorize God's Word. And I will admit, as you get older, it is a little harder than when you were younger, but I still make the effort to memorize the Word. And I'd like to think that when I say I love God's Word, I love it not because I'm a preacher. I'd like to think that if I'm not preaching, I'd still be reading and meditating, and memorizing God's Word. I love His law. But every now and then, you tick me off. Every now and then, circumstances in life offend me. And quite frankly, I don't like it. And I'm thinking, I don't deserve this. You do, but I don't. I mean, with all the effort that I've put into living right and following the Lord, surely God knows I don't need this in my life. I'm 70 now. 
And it's tough enough just to get out of bed and to have all this happen. <laughs> it's wonderful serving Jesus. We're all offended, are we not? Is God capable of stopping everything happening to you that would hurt you or offend you? Sure. He's a sovereign God. He's almighty. He's able to do anything. Nothing's impossible to God. He could stop it all, but he allows some things. Well, why does he? Well, God answers that. All things work together for good. To them who love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. Why? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Folks, God wants to shape you to look like Jesus. He wants to conform you into the image of his dear son. Anybody can have a song when it's sunlight out, when it's everything is going well. It's different when everything is going wrong. Can it be Possible for a man to be told he's got cancer and still be happy and joyous in the Lord? Sure. Folks, the truth of the matter is, this man standing before you someday is going to die. It's inevitable. It's appointed unto men once to die, but you might die before me. I don't only want to live for God, I want to die for God. I want people that are close to me and that witness my death to know that my faith is real. That Jesus is all I need. It's great to have a great wife. It's wonderful to have children. It's awesome to have grandchildren. It's cool to have a great church. But Jesus is enough. If that's all I ever had. And my faith is real. God help us. God gives grace to the humble. And when we resent being humbled, we reject a means of grace. You will never get ahead if you keep trying to get even. Someone said getting even is like biting the dog that just bit you. One man said forgiveness is a funny thing. It warms your heart and cools the sting. And if there's something that Christians need to learn, it's to forgive. Forgiveness requires that you and I believe that God is in control. And that he will ultimately do what is right. Well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Neither do you deserve God's. Be ye kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You don't deserve God's forgiveness. No more than the person you're struggling to forgive. One man said, worry is thinking God might get it wrong. And bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. When a friend makes a mistake, don't rub it in, rub it out. 
Too many Christians are working on forgiveness when they could avoid being offended. Love God, love His Word, and accept what God allows in your life. You may not like it. I may not like it. I don't like some things that happen to me. I don't like being treated like I've been treated. I don't like being spoken to like I've been spoken to. But God allows it. And I'll accept it as a, from the Lord that he is shaping me to be like Jesus. Number seven. Nothing is a secret. Matthew 10, 26 says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. We talked about this morning from the Scriptures secret sins. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But God says, you may cover it for a while, but there's nothing that's going to be covered forever. It's coming out. Just think about it. Google knows a lot about you, and that doesn't even bother you. Google knows, your smartphone knows, where you have been every day for the last month. That doesn't even bother you. If a machine or a little man-made computer knows that much about you, do you think God's a little smarter than your iPhone or your Android? God knows you. He knows where you've been. He knows what you're doing. He knows what your husband doesn't know. He knows what your wife doesn't know. He knows what your parents don't know. He knows everything. He knows every sin that you got covered. He knows the suffering that nobody else understands. He knows the sorrow that's deep in your heart that you have a difficult time sharing with others. And when people ask you, how you doing? And you reply, fine. What's a person saying when they say it? Fine. Feelings I never express. God knows that sorrow. He knows the service that you've rendered unto him. Oh, maybe the church doesn't know. The pastor doesn't know. It won't be credited to the IRS, but God knows everything. He is a rewarder of everyone that believes him and diligently seeks him. He's not unrighteous that he will ever forget your labor of love. He knows every sacrifice. It's easy for me to drop in 50 bucks, but it's like giving a day's wages for somebody else. For me, I'm tipping God. For another, it's a sacrifice. And we'll both be rewarded accordingly. Our gifts we're impressed with the number on the check. But God doesn't look at the amount on the check. He doesn't look at the amount that you give. He looks at the amount you keep for yourself. Because, quite frankly, it all belongs to the Lord. 
He knows it all. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good and bad. I know it's an unusual message. It's not a revival message. I don't even know that it's good biblical teaching. It's more of just a shotgun challenge to this church. Someone should ask you what the preacher preached tonight. You can honestly and respectfully say nothing. But I pray that God will give you something out of nothing. Before we go home tonight or go to our next class, I want to ask a final question to this eternal bound audience. And I want an answer. For what shall it profit a man He should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Answer? Nothing. The greatest something you can take home tonight is the assurance of your salvation. That assurance is found in someone. And his name is Jesus. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I trust you'd be saved tonight. Well, I've done the best I can to give you nothing. But I pray God will bring something out of it for you individually tonight. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the truths that we are reminded of tonight from your scripture. And for me, I just love that verse when Jeremiah said, nothing is too difficult for thee. And that gives me great assurance that since you're my friend, since you're my comforter, you go with me. That if I'm where you're at, there's not a whole lot that can stand against me because I'm with you. Would you bless this dear church and thank you for the relationship you've allowed us to establish with these dear saints. I pray that they would continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray and ask. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?